Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mixtape Memories. Memories. I'm Matt Hartspade. And I'm Jenners. And today is our season finale episode, and we are going to focus on something that we have not focused exclusively on ever, uh, but we've mentioned at various points. It's all the bubblegum pop from around the millennium, around late 90s, early 2000s, when that was really breaking in a major way. And I think this will be a fun way to wrap the season. Yes. <laughs> Go a little light <laughs> into the Y2K era. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it was so huge. It was such a major moment for pop culture. And it's funny now, I see a lot of the kind of styles and a lot of a lot of the discussion in terms of I don't know, fashion and, and, and otherwise, and kind of just people feeling nostalgic. I feel like a lot of it in pop culture right now is tied to the 2000s. I mean, if you look at like uh, some of the queens on Drag Race this season are literally literally wearing outfits that, that you know, Jessica Simpson would have worn in, <laughs> you know, 2001. It's, it's a little surreal. I feel like any drag queen <laughs> or a lot of drag yeah. queens have that kind of fashion in general. It's just kind of, um, it's kind of weirdly hypersexual in a, yeah, like a youthful way or something. I don't know. Like it's, uh, yeah, some of that fashion was terrible. Like the super low rise jeans mm-hmm. and like the, the belly button piercing type thing. And, um, yeah, everything, Gene on Gene on Gene, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, I, you know, I, it makes me laugh. And yeah, like you said, I kind of feel like this is a, a fun, kind of lighthearted way to end the season. I have a strange reference point to get us to Bubblegum Pop. I have been reading the new Sinead O'Connor book. It's called Rememberings. It's a memoir. It focuses very heavily on her childhood, which was just. Mm horrific and then kind of leading into her early career that's the big bulk of the of the book and it's really fascinating i highly recommend it i love her even more after reading this and the reason i bring her up is because i wanted to see you know her early singles obviously Hi. nothing compares to you and troy right. when i was googling to see how her early singles in the late 80s and and very early 90s uh you know, charted in the U.S., a lot of her chart placements, for whatever reason, were placed right next to, like, New Kids on the Block and Boys to Men. And I kind of feel like that was the start of kind of, you know, the boy bands and the, the synchronized moves and the harmonies. And I feel like that ultimately was the precursor to all the huge stuff that followed in the late 90s. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird to think that that's what happened, <laughs> but that's the sequence of events. <laughs> but yeah, no, totally. And uh, and then when the boy bands did explode, they were like full on and just like oh my god, yeah, like kind of crazy. Um, I remember like growing up. Uh, yeah, of course. I remember growing up like I was, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine when new kids were really breaking and. I don't know. I feel like as a little boy, it wasn't exactly kosher to be like the biggest New Kids fan, but I didn't really care. And I had this gigantic pin of Jordan Knight that I would wear on my jacket. And I was into them. I remember arguing with my grandma and she was like, they're terrible. They're never going to be like the Beatles. And I remember saying like, they're better than the Beatles. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Because usually it's like Rolling Stones versus Beatles, but now New Kids and Beatles. <laughs> no. That's a new one for me. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed, but I mean, I was also a little kid and I didn't even know what the Beatles were. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, totally. Like, <laughs> I uh, actually was like reminiscing about um, New Kids on the Block recently because I connected with like a chat reconnected with like a childhood friend and that's like one thing we shared (laughs) was like a love of new kids (laughs) on the block and basically had a poster of like joey mcintyre like on my wall (laughs) and thought he was like (laughs) the cutest guy ever (laughs) which is so embarrassing to admit but you know like they were like a whole thing you know 
And also, we were we were kid, we were so young, we didn't know. But I also feel like with new kids, it was one of the first times where it's like, you know, you could either be a fan of the bad boy or the the cute Twinkie one or like the one who wears all leather or the one that might be gay and like like you kind of I don't know. It was um it was almost like picking an action figure or picking your favorite. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, ice cream flavor, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, they had every type, right? Like, for every, what they think, like, a, you know, for which girl, you know, <laughs> to be antiquated. <laughs> but, like, exactly. you know, uh, would have a crush on it, not knowing that there's probably, like, tons of people <laughs> who, like, who are boys who also had crushes on them as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that has continued on, you know, like to this day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know it was that way before, you know, like old kind of girl groups, boy groups, like, you know, Temptations or like Supremes are usually. Yeah, like I don't think leader, it was you know? actually. I think new kids. Yeah, I think new kids kind of broke some ground. Yeah. And, you know, there's always one that's more popular, you know, than the others, like. Like, I feel like mm -hmm. a Jordan Knight was, like, the one in New Kids who was, like, all the girls loved him, and he was probably, like, the most popular. Like, just every boy band, Exactly. You know, there's, like, one that stands out and kind of goes on to become somebody. Yeah, exactly. Not always. I feel like he tried to have a solo career at some point. I feel like... Uh, another first of all, I just want to say that I stand by some of those new kids songs like Step by Step and The Right Stuff. They still to me sound fine when I listen back. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, it's so funny. Like, I think I have to say I haven't listened to new kids in a while. So I, I don't know exactly like my current thoughts on it, but just my memory <laughs> of it. You know, I, I feel like. It was okay, you know, like at the time I thought it was like everything, but you know, now mm -hmm. it's like I'm kind of older and I just have like different music tastes. So I just feel like that kind of affects it, you know, and exactly. I'm just not, I mean, listen, I don't sit there and listen to new kids all the time. It just so happens today. <laughs> you I don't? Do. Are you sure? <laughs> not uh you know but you know i feel like if you were if we were like drunk in a like club or just something like that like in a gay bar or something and some kind of new kid song came out we'd be like oh my god <laughs> you know? absolutely absolutely yeah so that's kind of like how i categorize a lot of these like these like kind of bubblegum pop songs is like time and place, <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. no, I'm not sitting at home, like listening to, you you know, in sync, <laughs> but you know, if one of their pop song, you know, big hits like came on like at a bar and everyone's like dancing or something like whatever, I'd probably dance to it. Yeah, of course. I feel like the other big thing that was breaking in the late 80s into the early 90s was uh, the Tiffany, Debbie Gibson kind of rivalry. I feel like that was amped up to a million with Brittany and Christina, who we'll get to later in the episode. But do you recall Tiffany and Debbie Gibson? And did you have a favorite? Oh, yeah, of course. I remember that. Tiffany was actually the first cassette tape. One of my cousins he used to buy me like music when I was younger. Obviously, I didn't have any money. Uh, I was a kid and uh, he bought me <laughs> Tiffany and I, I think he bought me Debbie Gibson too, actually. But like Tiffany was first and, uh -huh. you know, I think we're alone now. Like, like kids were obsessed with that. Like there were like hand motions to that song and stuff. So <laughs> I just remember being on the bus and like singing to that and like people like people would like do they ha I can't even tell you what the hand motions were <laughs> but there were hand motions and it like you know it's like how kids do you know and um yeah. so I feel like I really liked Tiffany for that song but then I liked Debbie Gibson for like other songs so it's kind of hard mm -hmm. to decide between them but I feel like I was probably more connected to Tiffany like I don't know what yeah. about you 
I feel like Tiffany was a little bit the underdog. I mean, actually, the more I talk about the two of them, I, it makes me think of like the rivalry in the early 80s with Madonna and Cindy Lauper. I kind of feel like Debbie Gibson was seen more as like the goody two-shoes blonde. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then Tiffany was the one that was maybe slightly more mysterious. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I feel like of their entire discographies, I feel like I Think We're Alone Now is the strongest single either one of them put out. Yeah, yeah. I so mean, good. that song I used to sing at karaoke a lot, and I have this like memory of being at Lucky Chang's in, you know, Manhattan <laughs> back in the ninety late nineties, like singing. Of course, we're alone now with a bunch of drag queens around me. So amazing. Uh, you know, I feel like that will always kind of like stay strong in my heart, even though it was like a cover song or whatever, like. You know, who thinks of the other, the original song? Oh, nobody. nobody. <laughs> like, no. They think of Tiffany. No. So. Of course. You know. Also, I, I know that we've touched upon this at various moments, but I want to hear a little bit more about when you were working at like the teen publication and part of your, wasn't part of your job to kind of cover all these acts that were like really buzzy and yeah. like in the Y2K era? Yeah. Yeah. Like I got a job at a teen website called alloy it was like my first job out of college and they made me like the music editor so i just had to yeah start covering all these like kind of teen acts and Mm -hmm. that was really exploding at the time as well it's kind of weird because Mm -hmm. like you know as a writer i had to like really dumb down (laughs) like my writing and put all this like weird slang you know (laughs) that was going on at the time (laughs) and really kind of like talk like a little you know kid basically and and then also you're asking like the worst questions right like what's your first kiss of course what's your ideal date (laughs) like nobody wants to answer that shit (laughs) (laughs) but you know in the context of you know what the website was that that's what you know the kids wanted to know and I didn't interview Brittany or Justin uh, Timberlake but like I interviewed like Brandy and Monica and Avril Lavigne Usher and Adam Levine oh from Maroon 5. And a bunch of other people. Like, I also have a memory of, like, interviewing O-Town, which is, like, such a random... Oh, my God, O-Town! <laughs> random boy band. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm pretty sure that was, like, a Jive Records or something. And I was just sitting in a conference room with them. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, like, and actually when I interviewed Brandy, you know, back in the day when you're interviewing people, you had like rinky dink, like recording systems, you know, (laughs) and sometimes they would work and sometimes they wouldn't. And this time it didn't like record the interview. It was like over the phone. And I had to ask her to do the interview over again. And it was so embarrassing. Was she upset? She was not happy, but she did it. And that's how professional Brandy is, I feel like. You know, like, of course, like, who's going to be happy about having to do the interview over again? But she was just like, okay. You know? Yeah. But. I mean, these things happen. Yeah. You know? And then, yeah, Avril Lavigne, you know, she was, like, not really anybody when I interviewed her. And, And then she, like, really blew up. Yeah. With like Let Go. And that was like 2002 era. Mm-hmm. And Adam Levine also wasn't really anybody. And he, in Maroon 5, like, you know, they were just like friends of Phantom Planet, you know? <laughs> like, it was just like, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, that band that's friends with Phantom Planet. But then they like really blew up, and who knows where Phantom Planet is these days. So that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> And and then Usher, I interviewed, and I love Usher. Let me just, like, start off by saying that he is, like, a definite guilty pleasure of mine. Mm -hmm. And I just think he's so great. But he, you know, I asked him about his first kiss, and he literally told me he kissed, like, his cousin. (laughs) It was with his cousin. Oh. 
<laughs> I could not print that. <laughs> like, no, so, no. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe he just told me he kissed his cousin. And that was like his first kiss. I was like, that's weird. Well, you know what? That's something that he should have been trained to answer a certain way. And that's not the correct way to answer it. I'm actually surprised, like, at that point, he hadn't been trained, you know? Like, this was still the era where, mm-hmm. like, you know, cougars were like screaming when he was like dropped his pants like on stage you know (laughs) he was yeah and like yeah i'm just surprised unless he was like fucking with me and that's totally possible because like you're sitting here like answering all these like teeny questions like you know some people just aren't into that so they're just like maybe just gave me like an answer he knew i couldn't print <laughs> Which good That's on you, true. Usher, That's true. if you're listening. <laughs> he's our he's our number one fan. <laughs> you know, I have a specific memory from this period. I would kind of I guess my guilty pleasure would be to watch TRL and I had a friend who would always go to the you know, to try and be one in one of those little squares at the bottom that you give a shout out and you introduce the video. Mm-hmm. And he was always there trying to, you know, be the in the bubble for when Britney had a video out or a song out. I feel like he was there like every day. I'm like, what did you do with your life? But okay. <laughs> and then I remember I had some college friends. I was I was a freshman in college at this point, so it was probably around 99 2000 and they came in during winter break to visit and we went to trl in the freezing cold and for some reason that day they were debuting a nine inch nails video for into the void um and i made this like poster board and i put a whole thing on there and i think i literally wrote something like trent can put it into my void anytime mtv told me that i can't have that poster board up and they made me take it down So I was really upset, but then they told me that I could make up for it by being in one of the bubbles that you introduce. And anyway, I remember this very, very well. I was in the little bubble clip for TRL song number eight that day, which was juvenile back that ass up. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Which is a classic. That is amazing. What a great memory. (laughs) I know. I know. Like, I don't know. Like, my, I actually, like, ended up interning at MTV. I think it was, like, my senior year in college. And I was doing it for credit. And basically, I just spent a lot of time there, like, pulling, like, 30-second clips from music videos to put on the the website. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And I just remember also just, like, Oh, every time I went to like 1515 Broadway, which is like that iconic MTV building, they were always, yeah, people outside the window screaming for TRL. And scream. I remember those yeah, days. I've definitely, I think I like even like maybe saw like a taping of TRL, but like I wasn't like a fan. You know, you have to like write something to get college credit <laughs> and mm. like a paper. And I remember I ended up writing a paper about Britney versus Madonna and mm. how I'm comparing like their style, their music videos, like their kind of like racy, sexy nature. And and then, of course, they kissed. Right. Like at, I think it was like the M- some MTV award show. It was the MTV Awards. It was a moment. Yeah, it was a moment. And so I talked about that, and it looks like the world's melding and stuff like that. And that's what I wrote about to get college credit, because I was like, how do I make this internship uh, make sense with, like, my, you know, cinema studies major? (laughs) That's what I'm doing. Oh, my God. That's amazing. So... You know, but like, yeah, I mean, MTV was, it's like one of those cool places that everybody probably dreams about working. I I know I watched a lot of MTV growing up and a lot of music Mm -hmm. videos. And then when I was actually there, it was just kind of like depressing because it was like, everyone's like underpaid, (laughs) you know? Yeah. But then there's random people there. Like there was a guy who worked kind of in the department that I was interning at and he ended up like managing Interpol so like there's like random people there you know what I mean like and and then I still kind of run into him sometimes like in random places and like he actually remembers me (laughs) it's like I'm just like (laughs) how do you remember me I was like an intern 
but yeah so you know there's random moments there like i i remember meeting like adam sandler when okay uh, <laughs> when i was interning there and very not very 90s moment very 90s moment <laughs> and he was like super cool i bet he's down to earth i mean I, he I, I never really cared for his films or him in general but you know i feel like he was such a staple yeah i loved him you films. like them yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're like you like them <laughs> I'm a little surprised, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I can't say that I've watched any like recent films, but like back in the day, I thought his films were funny, and you know, he had that Hanukkah song. <laughs> oh, the fucking Hanukkah song! I know. <laughs> and... Yeah, I, believe me, I, I I remember like Z100 here in New York would play that all the fucking time, yeah. um, every holiday season. Oh, I'm sure it still gets played, you know. Like, that song will never die. <laughs> it's so bad. The words are so bad. It's so bad. But how brilliant. Like, every year you're going to make some coin on a stupid song you wrote. <laughs> you know, like, 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. Oh so, God. like, I think, you know, I think that's why people try to write holiday songs anyway. You know, like, going back to, like, new mm-hmm. kids, like, say, they had a freaking christmas album you know and yeah and, yeah and all you know everybody releases i'm sure all these pop stars have a christmas album and yeah that's definitely part of the marketing thing uh for the especially for the pop stars of that time um and same with the divas of that time like the the, the holiday the christmas album was a very big thing it's very lucrative that's why artists do like christmas music i don't think it's because they actually like christmas music (laughs) no no i I think most people don't enjoy christmas music i feel like there's so much to cover so maybe we could just like quickly go over some of the um the bigger acts from this time period uh i guess we have to mention the whole all the boy bands from that era, the the Backstreet Boys, obviously, mm-hmm. in sync, 98 Degrees. Like you mentioned, O-Town. There's a band called Five. I'm leaving out a million of them. Uh, but it, this was really the period for, like, synchronized moves and, like, you know, the, the similar outfits and, you know, the certain kind of haircut. And, yeah, I mean, I feel like the biggest... For me, my favorite boy band song from this period uh, and maybe this is like an obvious choice but I don't really care because I love this song and this is also a karaoke song for me is I want it that way I mean come on that is such a brilliant pop that's song that's the biggest boy band song in my opinion like it gets sung yeah. so many times you could be in some random fucking bar in god knows where and that song will come on and everyone will fucking sing it <laughs> you know like <laughs> It's weirdly uplifting, that song. It almost, in a weird way, reminds me of Like a Prayer, where, like, the song kind of builds, and then you just want to, like, sing it nice and loud. <laughs> Tell me why. <laughs> you know, it's just like... <laughs> the part where they're like, you are, you are, yeah. you are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no. It's a good song. It's a great pop song. Like, I can't hate on it. You know, I can make fun of, like, a lot of pop songs, like... You know, I actually had to Google 98 Degrees to figure out what was their hit because <laughs> I couldn't remember. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I actually did that with NSYNC as well. And then I, like after I Googled, I was like, oh, of course, I know all these NSYNC songs. But like. Yeah, yeah, of course. They were they were massive. But, yeah. you know, I just like did, they um, weren't at the top of my mind, but it was so easy for me to recall like this Backstreet Boys song. So, you know, they'll probably yeah, live yeah. off that song forever. Forever. Yeah. I think we should also maybe go into all the great women that we haven't already discussed from this period. I mean, there are so many. Some, I we, maybe great isn't the right word, but notable. <laughs> Mandy Moore, I always hated, but I know she was a big, you know, she had a big song during this time. And she was in this film. I want to say it was called A Walk to Remember. Yes. I remember that I had, a, I had a friend. I think in the film, she's like dying of some terrible disease. Oh. And I remember I, my friend wanted to go see this film for her birthday. So we all went 
And it was so bad. The acting was so terrible. I can't even put it into words. And I remember like she is literally dying in the film and I'm cracking up. I'm like, this is camp. This is hilarious. This is so bad. How are people taking this seriously? You know, it was the moment where it was like, you know, milk it and get a film and get a, you know, make the Christmas album, make as much money as you can in that two, three year gap. But anyway, Mandy Moore, Jessica Simpson, this was the beginning of Miley Cyrus really breaking out of the Hannah Montana bubble and going into her solo career. And then, of course, Spice Girls. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, so do you have uh, any particular women that you admire during this moment in time? Women that I admired. I mean, I feel like Spice Girls are a really great girl band. Like, as cheesy as they can be, they left a mark, you know, on people. Oh, totally. And that's why, you know, people are still talking about them and they're still kind of like in pop culture and stuff. They really kind of like did something as far as like girl bands and like if you want to be my lover. Yeah, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't hate Mandy Moore so much as, as you did. I didn't mind her. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's kind of lukewarm, you know what I mean? Like not yeah. too spicy, not too, I don't know, like anything. I think that was the thing for me. It was so bland that I was just like, what's the point of this? But yeah, yeah I, I hear you. That. But, you know, like, I didn't mind her as much. Jessica Simpson, like, I could not tell you one Jessica Simpson song. <laughs> like, the only thing I know about Jessica Simpson is, like, she was on a reality show with Nick from 98 Degrees. With Nick. Yeah. yeah. And she didn't know what Chicken of the Sea meant. Exactly. <laughs> and so, like, I, You know, I feel like Jessica Simpson actually had a decent voice, though. Even though, like, she was kind of a joke. She had a decent voice. And she actually has a career now with, like, I think she's in the shoe business or like the pocketbook business or something and fashion-y stuff. Like she's very much like the home shopping network kind of seller at this point. Yeah, she was like on some reality fashion show. I don't remember what it was called, but they were like basically designers had a chance to sell their line to like department stores. And she was like one of the judges on it. Oh, cool. So yeah, she's kind of been in the the fashion world for a minute and it's kind of funny because sometimes like if I'm like online shopping or something and I see something random and it's not that bad it might end up being like a Jessica Simpson like item and then I hate myself so... next time I see you you're going to be in Jessica Simpson no, head to toe I will not. I will never buy Jessica Simpson but sometimes I'll be like that's not so bad and then I find out who it is and I'm like I can't believe I like that and then i never paid attention to miley cyrus until i guess party in the usa and obviously that was like what broke her into kind of like teen world into like more mainstream world yeah you know she has a great voice and actually i feel like what she's done in the last few years particularly like the last two or three albums have been fairly decent and she's kind of doing some interesting stuff i don't mind her actually but yeah i obviously was too old and and didn't really care about hannah montana but when party in the usa came out i'm like okay this is a great pop song so yeah you know that was kind of the tail end of the 2000s yeah i mean she's probably like the one i can relate to the most she's kind of like a little rebellious Mm -hmm. and like yeah very inclusive so i kind of appreciate that about her like very openly inclusive because i feel like people you know They'll have, like, a big, like, LGBTQ following, but maybe necessarily not, like, really vocally kind of being inclusive about that. But I feel like Miley tries to do that and kind of shine, use her stardom to, like, shine a light on other kind of groups. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like she. And all of that stuff. Yeah, she's really good at that. And, you know, Leo Canine and I actually saw her in concert in, like, 2013 Leo? or 14. Yes, Leo. <laughs> I can't, I can't um, we, that at all. Yes, we went. It was at Barclays Center. And we went primarily because Sky Ferreira was opening, who I was a gotcha. huge fan of, and I still love her. And then it was Miley's tour promoting bangers with Wrecking Ball and, and you know, we can't stop like all this big hits and I was like well we have to stay for Miley freaking Cyrus <laughs> so we did and 
we we had way too many beers. I, to be honest with you, don't remember the show very well. But I remember there was a lot going on. There was like a car on the stage. There was confetti. There was a lot of outfit changes. There was a lot of cursing. And we kind of seemed like two creeps because we were like, you know, in our 30s, like seeing this show. And everyone there was like a mom with their kid, you know. <laughs> the other group that I was super into, Destiny's Child. Of Amazing course. girl group. I mean, they had so many iconic hits. So many hits. Like, everyone knew Beyonce was going to be a star. Yeah. You know, I listened to them in college a lot. And Jumpin', Jumpin', like, that was my jam. I just remember going, you know, <laughs> that was, back then, it was like when I went to dance clubs a lot. And yeah, I, I would love when they played Destiny's Child and... I don't know. Oh yeah, I mean, so many hits. I, I, I mean, I loved most of those big singles. Uh, my favorite was one of the earliest ones, if not the very first single, "Bills, Bills, Bills." I love. I love that song. Oh, so good, um, right? Where she's, yeah, you know, where she's like breaking up with the guy because he is like maxing out her credit card and not paying his phone <laughs> bill and stuff. And it's a little bit like the cousin of maybe like TLC No Scrubs in terms mm-hmm. of like I'm kicking you to the curb because you are a loser. Yeah, say my <laughs> I name. Love it. So iconic, I think. Yeah, I love, like, the attitude in those songs, you know? Yeah. I feel like maybe we'll mention one more band before we hop into Repeat Skip. I kind of just want to briefly touch upon Hanson because I feel like that was, to me, so funny that, like, they became a thing. And I guess, you know, they weren't the first act that was, like, you know, multiple siblings in one band together. To me, it just seemed so silly, but, like, some of the songs actually weren't that bad. I mean, post Mbop, like they had a song called Weird that I thought was really good. My mom had a friend whose daughter was a gigantic Hanson fan and had like posters all over her wall and she would pretty much stalk them whenever they came to New York. Like they, I guess, you know, they got to know her and stuff and she still goes on like the Hanson cruise and like Hanson is still doing things and she's still part of that world. And like, that's crazy to me, like 24, 25 years later that, you know, you still care about this kind of band, but you know, no judgment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I don't know any other songs other than Umbop, but like they okay. were definitely like the precursor to like Jonas Brothers and stuff like that kind of forming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, totally. all these brothers in a band group together and they all are like good looking and sing. <laughs> You know, when they're all like goody tissues. For me, it was such a a spectacle to kind of witness that kind of fandom. I've never seen that kind of fandom before. Mm -hmm. Like for those, you know, which kind of goes along with all of this bubblegum pop stuff. Like the fans that are just hysterically crying and so emotional at the thought of seeing these bands live or meeting them or getting a photo with them or getting an autograph or any sort of piece of them. You know, it really was like intense. Yeah, I feel like for a lot of these acts, it was like a lot of the the young girls that were obsessed. And then, you know, for the pop stars, for some of like the women pop stars, it was like the gays. Or at least nowadays, it's like almost all gays that listen to like all this pop stuff, you know? Yeah, gays and like straight women. (laughs) And straight women, yeah. I, I actually saw this act with a bunch of gays and straight women at Madison Square Garden. And I'm talking about Britney Spears. I'm talking about the iconic debut album, Baby One More Time. Before we get into the album, I just want to say, like, obviously she's in the news right now, and we just, we hope that she gets out of this situation and is able to live her life in a in a normal, you know, healthy way. And this situation just sounds hideous. So, yeah, yeah we were sending our love to Definitely her. Definitely free Britney um, all the way. Absolutely. What do you recall about this album? And I guess maybe how it kind of corresponded with like the teen publication and whatnot, because I feel like this was such a monumental release and she was covered everywhere, you know? Yeah, I mean, she was everywhere and it was weird because, you know, like when this album came out, she was under 18. She was underage. And yeah, I think she was like, you know, one of the few people to like top the charts who was like under the age of 18. So she kind of became a big star pretty quickly. And the song baby one more time also was like that video was like also like very hypersexual, like Catholic school mm-hmm. girl <laughs> you know, vibes. Mm-hmm. 
So she was like also sexualized right from the start, really, uh, on, on this album at least, not like in her Disney days or anything, but like, and and I found that kind of like weird. Yeah, I remember interning at this like one publication and like one of the editors like had a poster of her like on his office in his office and i was like that's 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 creepy. ooh, that's that, that leaves a sour taste in my mouth yeah, yeah. That, that was so creepy <laughs> and i was just like you know actually on at alloy like i would have to do like you know gossip columns you know there which is just basically paraphrasing what story you find in some other publication and then giving them credit, you know? And mm, so it's like mm-hmm. a kind of like a, a roundup of gossip and I like always had to cover Brittany and, you know, I remember like when Brittany and Justin got together and then Brittany and Justin breaking up and cry me a river and all that crap. And now oh, we know God, so that much was, yeah. about more about that era than we ever did back then. Yeah. With like that New York Times documentary that came out on Britney. And, you know, my take on it at the time was just like, as someone who's not necessarily into the music, but covering it, you know, almost kind of like I wasn't into it, you know, so I just didn't take it that seriously. And it was almost kind of like they were a little joke to me and like like something I thought was going to be a phase, you know, obviously not. It, you know, Britney's not a phase. But yeah, like, I agree with you. When she first came out and when Baby One More Time was such a huge hit, I kind of thought it was going to be a short-lived moment in pop culture and in pop music. I did not, I guess I didn't realize that all these years later we'd still be talking about her and she would have such an influence and and obviously like have these, you know, mega sold out Vegas residencies that broke records and everything. Like I just, I kind of thought it was like, that's what's popular this year. I didn't, I didn't necessarily understand it was going to go all this way. In fact, after she had all those big hits on Baby One More Time and then came out with the sophomore album, Oops, I Did It Again, I said, okay, it's done now. Like, first of all, that's a dumb name for an album. And second of all, like, who's going to care anymore? Like, she had her singles. But I was obviously 100% wrong. Mm-hmm. And and her career only got bigger and bigger. So, And she only became more and more of a staple in pop culture. So, yeah, I also thought this was going to be just a, a passing thing, and it was not. But, yeah, I kind of hear what you're saying about the hypersexualization because because um, I was actually watching some early interviews she did very early on when Baby One More Time had just come out, the single. And I, I feel like she was very much, like, shy and very innocent and very much like naive and um, kind of just like a very sweet girl. And then I feel like she was obviously, I mean, this is the tale as old as time, but like obviously pressured into over-sexualizing herself. And, and yeah, what you were saying earlier too about kind of how she wasn't even really 18 when this was breaking, it adds a whole other layer of wrong to it. Yeah, you know? I mean... You know, it's like how everyone is criticizing Billie Eilish recently for, you know, being on, you know, magazine cover with like, you know, not as covered up as she used to be. And they forgot, like, she was very young you know, before. Oh, my God. And that's yeah. why she was covered up. She didn't want to be sexualized. But now she's older and more in tune with like, you know. Her body and whatnot and she's like you know progressed as a person but I was like well you just like think she's just gonna dress like a teenager like her whole life like I don't, I don't understand exactly like, the criticism I also want to say like she looks incredible on that cover in kind of like a pinup-esque kind of burlesque thing yeah. which which I love in general I love seeing burlesque but like she just she looks great and i think the conversation i mean maybe this is a bigger discussion i guess but like i feel like nowadays i don't know the the tone in the air the environment in the air is to not kind of put all this pressure on on the kids to to act a certain way so i think what was so refreshing for someone like billie eilish is she's just like i'm being myself and fuck y'all this is how i look this is what i do this is who i'm friends with and this is the kind of music i make and i am not bending in any way whereas i feel like a lot of these pop stars from around the millennium were very much molded and shaped and it wasn't who they authentically were billie eilish i feel like is authentic in some well in most senses yeah, and it probably helps that she gets to work with her brother. 
so there's yeah. a little bit yeah. more of a family grounding there and she's not just working with like a sleazy you know whoever like trying to exactly put her you know in some kind of way but who knows right um but yeah that's what it seems like so just like going back to Brittany, i just think like at the time like that just all surged and people were treating them like they were like adults and they still had to deal with like paparazzi and yes. press and just all of those pressures as like a young you know teen and i just think like yeah that's kind of i don't know it was just like a toxic situation so yeah pun intended <laughs> i know well like um. when you think back on it like so some of her song titles like really um really uh yeah are kind of like creepy in that way like they kind of echo back yeah pe people were commenting online when the audio came out from her you know her court appearance or virtual court appearance uh recently a couple week or two ago so yeah people were saying online that um when they listen back or look back at the lyrics to lucky that it actually is kind of eerie now um to kind of imagine what she went through and has been going through now for such a long time and the lyrics to that song are also kind of um imagining this universe where you think the pop star is living in this glamorous bubble and everything is perfect and and amazing and beautiful and meanwhile there's a lot of darkness underneath and that kind of mirrors what she's going through now actually that's true like i didn't think about that particular song but now thinking about the lyrics of that yeah that that's wild yeah what was your repeat here it was hard to choose between baby one more time and uh crazy yeah because they're both great pop songs. Just like the ones that kind of connected with the most. Um, although I think most of the album, like, I wasn't into. Um, <laughs> Same. <yeah. laughs> so it was like, you know, it may be crazy if I had to pick one. What about you? Yeah. I mean, same. I mean, I, you you have to put Baby One More Time because the history of, of that song and, and kind of how it stood the test of time. And, and it is legendary in its own right. I also love Crazy as a single. Yeah. But, you know, I kind of feel like this is the kind of album where there are, I think they released five or six singles from this release, but it's very obvious that like they wanted like the three fast-paced ones, the three ballads, and then the second half of the album is really... And the Britney fans are going to kill us, but like really not very good at all. Um, and you could tell that they knew that those songs were never going to be singles. So they just kind of, they exist, but they're, they're not really living in my mind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to be honest, like when I was listening to the album prepping for this, like I was definitely starting to skip. <laughs> like, oh God, I couldn't listen to track. Like, no, no. Same. <laughs> same just like no way i could listen to the entire song but you know one thing that i found really funny reading that hit me baby one more time was rejected by tlc first before and i never knew that <laughs> i was like trying to imagine tlc like doing this song i just can't <laughs> yeah it is kind of There's funny no no wonder that it got rejected by them. But I thought it was kind of cool that yeah. she like went to Sweden to record this album and mm -hmm. and like just to think of like you're this teenager and you're going to like Stockholm and you know working with like a producer and like I don't know and then you hear a song that you kind of feel like it's going to be your big hit kind of wild right mm -hmm. like it's not in america mm -hmm. like i don't know i just think that, that yeah. must have been kind of crazy just to have that experience and then she was talking about they were so busy recording in the studio for 10 days that she never even got to see the country <laughs> uh well that sounds like a common kind of thing yeah yeah i feel uh, yeah th there are so many songs on here that are just not good <laughs> I can't even say it in an eloquent way. They're just not very good. And I think they were never really intended to be played on radio, so they didn't really care. But in particular, I think 
I think we actually have the exact same skips. I think the only non-single from the first six or seven tracks is Soda Pop, which is awful. Oh um, <laughs> it's so bad. It's like that island kind yes. of Caribbean feel ska thing, and it does not work. The lyrics are atrocious. And I'm surprised, Matt, you feel I, this I don't... way given how you love Paris Hilton's <laughs> Well, Well, well song. That, that song is next level, though. <laughs> But yeah, but that but the Paris Hilton song feels breezy and fun, whereas this sounds really forced and awkward. I don't know, it's not good, but it's not my least favorite. My least favorite, hands down, is "Email My Heart," which is which is actually like going to a stand-up set. It's so bad, it's comedy. Oh my gosh, I agree. Like, I actually picked Soda Pop, but then I got to the end of the album and I was like, "What the hell is this song?" <laughs> I think the worst part is that the the lyrics are, are just a mess, but also like she's singing them in a very sincere way. Like she's waiting for the email back and like, and, and it's, it, they're trying to make it like a romantic miss you, like, like get back to me kind of thing. And it does not work. And it's, I, I don't know. It just doesn't work. It's not good. Yeah. It's, it's pretty <laughs> terrible. Like. It's pretty bad. They were just trying to be poetic, but in the worst way. (laughs) Yeah. Should we move on to our our second repeat skip, which is, I feel like, the obvious adjacent album to Britney one more time. And we're talking about, of course, Christina Aguilera's self-titled album from the same year, 99. They were very much rivals, but they used to be, you know, they were in the Mickey Mouse Club and they were, you know, friends at one point. And I think to this, at, at this very moment in time, I think they are cool with one another definitely it was very much a britney versus christina universe for a couple years there around you know 2000 and yeah you know to 2003 or so i feel like with this album i actually really like some of these singles that she put out and i feel like for me with the ballads they work much better than the ones on britney's album a because christina has a far better voice and b because i kind of feel like that with the production of it I kind of get like a a Whitney feel, yeah. like an early Whitney's feel, which I don't mind. This was for me was a much more pleasant listen than listening back to Baby One More Time, the album. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. I feel like Christina's voice is a lot stronger, has more. Yeah, she sounds older. Like she doesn't sound like yeah. she's like a, a young teenager on this album, and. Exactly. Yeah, she sounds more mature. Absolutely. And just like the tone, you know, there's something more believable when she sings like there's something um, Mm. I don't know, there's something there's a rich element to her voice that I can't really describe in a in a yeah in in greater detail, but it just kind of works better. Yeah, I feel like the same. Like, I think there's like way more depth in her voice and more emotion and it's it just sounds like like a diva singing to me, like more yeah. than Britney, yeah. you know. And and I think that was always my issue with Britney, even though she was singing all those songs that became big, big pop hits. She still had that same voice. <laughs> and yeah. So, yeah, you know, I always preferred Christina, at least, you know, as a vocalist and yeah. But, you know, she kind of went through the same stuff. Like, she was young. They marketed her in, like, a very sexualized way. But I think because of her voice, you know, she was the one who won a Grammy for this album. You know, Britney didn't. Mm-hmm. She was, like, nominated, I think. But she didn't win. You know, so I think that's why Christina Aguilera got, like, the early kind of accolades it's just based on her voice. But, you know, at the same time, I'm not, like, super huge Christina Aguilera fan. Like, you know. Right. Well, I same. Can, <laughs> I, can, yeah. I can, you know, recognize that, you know, she has a great voice and she has some great pop songs. But I just don't. Yeah, I'm not, like, a huge fan. But this, you can't, like, deny, you know, some of the songs on this album will live in pop history. <laughs> So. <laughs> exactly. She actually won like five Grammy awards. So like she's 
Oh, cool. And, you know, she, you know, she's kind of built like a career, you know, judging on like the voice uh, TV show mm-hmm. and kind of just built up her, you know, presence as, as like a real like singer. She seems to have like just more control over her career and life. So mm-hmm. maybe that's the difference there. But, yeah. you know, she she i definitely hear what you're saying about those whitney vibes like i turn to you i definitely yeah like that had total whitney uh moments and but she's also like the queen of like runs you know putting those like run Mm -hmm. musical runs like in in her songs and stuff and and sometimes like that is like too much for me. It's just like, okay, just sing it. <laughs> yeah, she really goes for it. it. It is a little, it's quite dramatic. Like, I don't need yeah. to know that you can hit like literally every note that exists <laughs> in one line, but you know, she does have talent. Yeah, I do feel like, and maybe this is unfair, but I do feel like she, on, at times she kind of oversings for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like it's because maybe she grew up like trying to prove that she's, you know, the singer the better singer mm-hmm. and like you know and it just like kept going you know because she's young and yeah she probably worked hard to kind of get that more like adult tone to her voice and you know and it just continues on but i don't know yeah. what was your like repeat on this album uh hands down my repeat is come on over baby but i prefer the version that's not on the album the version that was kind of like the radio remix, the one that pretty much most people know when they think of this song. It was just so, oh my God, I think that is such a great pop song. It's actually probably one of my favorite pop songs of the last 25 years, I would say. I remember DJing it out at like, you know, the Delancey and all these places on the Lower East Side next to like an Interpol song. I don't like, I must've just seemed completely schizophrenic and crazy to people, but I love doing that. And honestly, same with Britney. I remember once I was, DJing a CMJ party at Pianos and Dive was about to perform and I played um, Britney Till the World Ends just before they came on. (laughs) I'm sure they were like, what is going on? And also like, you know. They were like, what? (laughs) Uh, They're too young to know who Britney is. I don't know. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Like, uh, Yeah, that song is kind of interesting because like I actually didn't realize there were two different versions of that song Mm -hmm. and that the the radio hit like has different lyrics different vocals and the only difference is yeah. one has the word baby in the title <laughs> and like <laughs> and and then like the redone one actually became like you know a number one hit so it's kind of yeah. interesting they just like totally redid that and they were like there's this song has yeah. potential we gotta like do it over <laughs> like yeah. You know, I feel like they did the same thing with, with Crazy by Britney. It's slightly different, the one that is like the video and the radio version. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I think it was a common thing at the time to like get some sort of producer or DJ on there and amp it up a bit so it was a little more catchy for the car ride or something. Yeah. Like it yeah. kind of has to be a little different to really like hit on the radio or in the club. So that's why there's so yeah. many remixes and stuff. and. Yeah, know. my repeat was genie in a bottle. Of course. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I yeah, basic choice, but I think it's still like the 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 most solid song on the album to me, and I I don't know if I really DJ'd like straight up pop tracks, like unless it was like specifically a DJ night that was like pop hits or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I. Would prefer like mashups because I felt like they made tracks a little cooler. And you know, like there was that whole era where everything was like mashups, like in the aughts. Yeah. And and indie kind of blending with either pop or hip hop. And I remember DJing the mashup of like the Stroke song "Hard to Explain" with "Genie in a Bottle." (laughs) It's pretty great. And uh, just like things like that, because like I felt like that was more me, you know, so I could like, yeah, you know, appease all those people who want like the pop songs, but then still kind of have a little bit of myself in it a little bit, you know? Absolutely. Um, 
So, yeah, I feel like that song is like my repeat. What about your skip, Matt? My skip is probably Blessed, <laughs> which, I mean, any sort of religious reference in general, I'm already um, ter- tuned out a little True. bit. But I think also of the ballads on this album, I think that one works the least. <laughs> I don't know. it For me, that that's the one that is actually cheesy whereas the rest i could kind of deal with um but this one i i didn't think was that fantastic but i gotta say like overall i didn't suit like i haven't really listened to this album all the way through since probably the year 2000 so it was interesting to kind of revisit i didn't hate it whereas like like yeah with the britney album i just really wanted to skip the entire second half for the most part it really just didn't touch me at all whereas this was fine like if it were in the background when i was I don't know, cooking, I'd be like, okay, fine. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's not as bad as Britney's, but yeah, it was still, like, I I was still skipping through tracks. Maybe I was just in a rush, but, like, I was still skipping (laughs) through tracks, especially towards the end, because I do feel like they put the hits kind of, like, closer to the top of the album. Yeah, definitely. It kind of wanes off from there, and... Ew, when I was reading, like, the songwriters on on this uh, album, like, uh, I think maybe that colored it a little bit, too. It's <laughs> like finding out Robin Thicke, like, wrote one of the tracks. So my skip. I, I did not know that until today. That's so gross. <laughs> yeah. My skip. And, and when you hear the title of the song, you'll think it's even grosser. <laughs> the title of the song is When You Put Your Hands On Me. <laughs> Of course. And I'm just like, oh my God. Oh my God. I literally can't believe she's like singing this song. It's so gross. Uh, totally made me cringe. And, and, and knowing everything about, you know, Robin Thicke and, you know, just like all that stuff, I just could not get down with it. <laughs> it's just like, Ooh, yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good skip. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's kind of corny, the whole like Mulan song, you know, reflections or whatever, but. I know, but I don't. I don't hate it. Hate it. Hate it. I hate it just once, not not double or triple hate. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Like I didn't mind it as much because you know it is a song I recognize, but yeah, yeah. it's very. It sounds very dated, if that makes sense. If it sounds very like, absolutely not current at all. Yeah, I think that's actually a good point that I was going to bring up earlier, but I forgot. Both of these albums sound very dated. They don't sound current at all, which, I mean, it's fine. Not everything has to sound current or stand the test of time, but when you listen back to this stuff, it really sounds like it was from a very particular moment in time, and, and we've moved beyond that. Yeah, you know? no, totally. Totally agree. Except for the singles. Like, I feel like, you know, the big singles, like Genie in a Bottle, Baby One More Time, Crazy, What a Girl Wants, like, those songs kind of have bypass everything, but I feel like mo- the bulk of both of these albums are really dated sounding. Yeah, I mean, I think they're dated in a different way, like the hits. They're, like, dated, but, like, it's mm-hmm. kind of nostalgic, so you don't mind it as much. Yeah. Something in your brain just, like, doesn't mind it as much. But the songs that you don't yeah. really remember and you hear them and they're, like, terribly written and, like, obviously just kind of, yeah. like, filler you're just like eh <laughs> like yeah yeah but i'm glad that we uh spent some time revisiting these albums and kind of doing this bubblegum episode because i just kind of think it's a fun one to do it was kind of i feel like the counterpart to a lot of the indie stuff that was really brewing in around the millennium so it's kind of funny to be like on the flip side on the other side of the coin you know and kind of really delving into this pop bubble yeah, i mean um, i think it's important to kind of like talk about the stuff that we weren't super into but because it was like going on at the time and all kind of influencing each other because i think you had kind of mentioned this in the notes like how music kind of reacts to itself you know so like when one you know all that grunge and stuff was like super popular yeah. in the 90s the early 90s and then you know, like the next generation kind of reacts to that and like went super pop and yeah. And now, and then from pop, it went to like indie rock and now it's mm-hmm. kind of 
really like like I think Kip said it in our last episode. Uh, Kip Curry, uh, it's very like hip hop and like R and B, very much you so. know influence. So I, f- I feel like there's waves that react to each other. So it's like interesting to kind of like talk about the stuff, even if we're not super into it, because I feel like it all kind of is somehow intertwined, kind of like the mashup, you know? Yeah, I agree. They are kind of intertwined. There was this convergence for sure. Yeah. That was our season finale. Season four finale. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) It's kind of crazy that we're four seasons deep. Thank you to all of you who have been sticking through and listening to us from the beginning and to the new listeners as well. And we will catch you with season five at some point in the near future. Yeah. All right. Catch you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.